It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Powered by the Ingram Agency. You're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. I'm Kyle. With me, as always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Guys, we're almost done with one week at the playoffs. We're in the middle of the first round. And let me tell you, these games have been something else. Bro, we haven't even got out of the first week, and the Lightning are almost eliminated. <laughs> not to mention the Penguins are almost eliminated, too. My bracket is about to go up in flames. I kid you not. It is craziness happening right now, but I'm kind of enjoying it. I mean, it's it's kind of weird for me to be rooting for all these underdogs, but man, it has been an epic playoff so far. Even just starting with day one, the first night, uh, Captain Joe Pavelski takes a puck off his face, off the face, knocks his teeth out, <laughs> it gets a goal off of it, returns to the game later, and the same night, an eight seed overcomes a three zero deficit to beat the greatest team ever. And that's just day one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, playoffs I, are awesome. Yeah, it, it's literally the best time of year. So yeah, you're talking about the sharks trouble. So you know Logan Kocher who got the uh, puck smashed in his mouth the other day. Uh, well, not the other day, but a couple of years ago when the sharks were playing the Preds. Uh, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, that's been a while ago. <laughs> so this man cannot escape injury. He took a puck to the uh, cup the other day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he did. It was uh, quite a strong <laughs> shot, too. Yeah, I felt bad for him. I just saw that and I was like, man, you gotta. Gotta hate hockey sometimes. It's get your, get your face smashed in with a puck, then you get hit in the <laughs> cup. Bad night, but hey, I mean, they got the win that first game, so I, I guess he's not complaining. The Shark Tank was rocking that yeah. night, too, man. So many great atmospheres, too. I, I, I just love the playoffs. Best time of year for me. Well, you know, we got our bracket going on, guys. We've got our brackets printed out here, and, <laughs> you know, if you are part of our bracket <laughs> challenge, we've got 64 entries, which I thought was a healthy amount, you know, compared to last year, so thank you guys for everybody who's entered. I, of course, have got... Tampa Bay making the finals. Lol. I got Wait. Tampa Bay winning. Both of you guys have them winning. Yeah, that we get, do. Well, hold on. You're not much off here. Yeah, I'm, I'm at least a leg up. I've got them going to the finals, but not winning. So. Yeah, I know, but our brackets are not. That's yeah, it's not a good start for the vast majority of everybody's bracket, for sure. So I had something come across my feed while getting ready for this episode tonight. It was called the most wins in a single regular season where that team did not win their championship title regardless of their sport. So you've got the 2001 Mariners did not win their title. The 1906 Cubs did not win their title. Great, my Cubs, thanks. The 15-16 Warriors in the NBA didn't get their title. The 07 Patriots didn't get their title. The 18-19 Lightning, if they get kicked out by Columbus, will not get their title either. And those are teams that had the most wins in a single regular season and didn't go on. So as we get straight into this first round, of Tampa versus CBJ. I went back and looked at the brackets because I was chatting with Chelsea when I saw, you know, game three. That was like, oh my gosh, they are literally doing all this. They are crushing Tampa Bay. And only five of our brackets, or about 7%, <laughs> of the people in our bracket challenge pick CBJ to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
there's some brave that, men and women yeah, who very did brave that, i mean uh, if you're betting in vegas right now you're making some yeah. serious cash by the way i would like to go back and see how many games they picked them into not i guarantee you it wasn't four or five it was probably six or seven but even then i i mean let's just jump right into this series first of all columbus goes down to tampa kind of punches them in the mouth a little bit that first game the thing is, it started off in classic Tampa style. You know, they're, they're just breakaways. They're scoring points off the, uh, I think it, they had a shorthanded goal too. Next thing you know, it is three to zero. And we're like, you know what? That's about right. Welcome to the playoffs, Columbus. Well, then all of a sudden, Columbus rallies back and scores four straight yeah. goals in their barn. I, I came home just in time to catch the end of this game. The Lightning fans' faces were stunned. After that fourth goal went in and he swung around and was just celebrating, right? I mean, the front row glass was just glazed. I mean, they could not believe their eyes. But one key factor that led to that big momentum swing was that in game one, Kucherov's line got shut down against Matt Duchesne's line at 5v5. Kucherov's line didn't even get a single shot on net from the slot that game when playing Duchesne's line. After such a terrible loss to start the postseason off, you, you would expect them to come back in game two and just be fired up, you know, like have a fire lit underneath you. you. You're ready to come out there and prove that you are the best team that has ever walked in the regular season. But guess what? Columbus fires back and they get beat down five to one in Tampa in game two. I don't even know how to explain it. And then on top of it, Kucherov takes a crazy undisciplined hit into yeah. the board, which ends up in a one-game suspension. And at this point, through two games, Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point have zero points. And once again, through two periods of this game, Tampa Bay was held without a single inner uh, shot, inner slot shot on net. So t- Columbus did a heck of a job shutting down uh, that that massive line from Tampa Bay. Well, it's like somebody said on Twitter. It's kind of hard to feel bad for the Lightning when they basically haven't played a meaningful game since March. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't I don't know what it is, though. Like, is this team just mentally weak? Like, I mean, they have the skill. Don't give – I mean, you look at their lineup and the stats that they put up in the regular season, they are super gifted. But they got punched in the face in the first night, and they are not responding at all. I, I think that's, I, a, that's a deal breaker. That first night – coming four goals behind and for the underdog to, to whoop you like that, I don't think you can come back from that mentally. I mean, Coach called it a five-alarm fire in yeah. the in the second-game presser. I mean, it's it's pretty bad. And then on top of it, they knew that more than likely Kucherov might get a game suspension. Yep. That happened the next day. Then this leads right into game three where you're like, okay, it's do or die you know, for, for the bolts. they got to come out firing flat again in game three and the jackets win three to one and take a three to zero lead on the lightning and on top of it Kadri. oh yes this is the game the Kadri hit game yes and the NHL player safety he basically suspended him today for the rest of the first round yes and to be honest i thought it was probably the right thing to do he has a history of this yeah. too i think he got was it last, last year yeah. so i don't you would think that if he's got a history of this, not only would they suspend him the rest of the first round, because let's be honest, if Columbus knocks Tampa Bay out, the first round's over for him, and his suspension's kind of meaningless. I think it would also help if they could have gave him some, either some preseason games or some games at the beginning of the season, basically say, you know what, 
you have a history, you can't be doing these hits. So not only are you going to get tacked on at the end of the season, you're going to get tacked on again the season as well too. Yeah, Caudry last year got suspended three games for a hit on uh, Wingles last year. And this year they offered him a in-person hearing, which by classification means the league can suspend him for six or more games. Uh, they chose just at the end of the series. And I've got a couple of quotes from the NHL on it. They said that this is not a hockey play. Instead, this is a player retaliating against an opponent by using his stick as a weapon to make forceful and direct head contact. And also that Quote, while we understand Kadri took offense to DeBrusque hit against Marlowe, players are not allowed to simply violate league rules uh, just because they feel retribution is justified. And you know what's the crazy thing about this series is I started digging into some of the stats is the fact that Tampa Bay's penalty kill is at 50%. Oh, wow. And that means the Blue Jackets are operating at a 50% power play right now. And guess what? The Tampa Bay power play, 0 a team that was nearly 30% in the regular season for 82 games, an 82-game sample size where you're almost at 30%, you're at 0% in the playoffs. It is mind-boggling how every single stat that was for this team has flipped. You're talking about the power play. So the Blue Jackets in three games have had four power play goals out of seven chances at the chances of the man advantage. They've had 12 goals compared to allowing just two goals. And Sergei Bobrovsky is doing insane work. He's got 24 playoff appearances, and he was entering the CD season 5-14 and 14 with a 3.49 goals against and an 8-9-1 save percentage. That's not and stellar. <laughs> and now it's like he's basically become a playoff beast. He's allowed two goals and 71 shots for a 9-7-2 save percentage in eight periods. To be honest, though, that's a relatively low shot total, though, for three games, if you think about it. I mean, if you divide the 71 times three, yeah, you're not putting up you know, stellar numbers if you're the Bolts. And that, I think that goes back to Matt's uh, comments of the inner slot shots. They've been excellent at basically limiting their high danger chances. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about 23.6 shots a game for the for the Bolts. Yeah, we always have heard the term that defense wins championships. And you can't just say, oh, Tampa Bay's top line is just floundering. They're not doing it. Well, kind of, but you really have to give some credit where credit's due. And yep. that's Columbus's ability to deny uh, offensive zone opportunities for the Lightning here in the series. Fun quote before we move on. It has been 827 days since Tampa Bay has lost four games straight. Well, wow. Let that sink in. It's been 827 days. That's two seasons ago. I'll go ahead and mention it now, just in case it doesn't happen. Columbus is the only only the second team to go up three games to zero against a President's Trophy winner in the first round. If they were to sweep the Lightning, it would be the first time in history that a President's Trophy gets eliminated via the sweep in the first round. Yeah, it, it, it'd be so improbable. But at the same time, like Columbus it's has looking, deserved, deserved every bit. At the same time, it's looking pretty likely it could happen. And so that moves us on into the second matchup in the Eastern Conference, which is the Boston Bruins versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, which we know we said this game is going to be a toss-up. 50-50 either way. Toronto takes the first game. Boston comes back and takes the second. And as we record tonight, they're currently playing game three. And tied up in the first. right, 0-0 zero zero with Boston on the power play. So we'll be watching that game and potentially giving an update later on in the episode. So you know Austin Matthews has yet to record a point in the series? Yeah, there's a lot of players that haven't recorded a point, and 
it's pretty shocking. Uh, I'm not as surprised because I will get to it. Philip Forsberg also is on this list, and Austin Matthews is on that list. But they have only played two games compared to the others who have played three games. And go ahead and read some of the people on that list because it is quite shocking right now. So as we were talking about the Lightning earlier, Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point, Steven Samkos are on this list. They've all, all been pointless. three of them in three games. For the Penguins, Sidney Crosby has been held without a point. That's crazy. For the Blues, Tarasenko is out of point. <laughs> and, of course, for the Preds, Philip Forsberg is out of point. So those are some big and names. And Austin Matthews. It's, it's mind-boggling. That have just not produced. And so you wonder, yes, it's a relatively small sample size, but will they get on the stat sheet eventually? Well, I mean, the Bolts might only have one game to do it, so they better get on the stat sheet next game. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I know Mitch Marner has been on the stat sheet. He's actually got 11 points in eight games against Boston recently, so yes. he's, he's lighting them up pretty good, which explains one of the reasons why uh, they won and the Boston fans went home a little early in the third period there in game yeah, one. Yeah, so, I mean, it was pretty much a route in the first one, 4-1 to one in Boston, and it's pretty funny because Marshan even came out afterward and said, I guess we just thought it was going to be easier. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that was literally his quote. Like, I, I don't know what you were expecting. I mean, last year's series was intense, so yeah. why would you not expect it to be yeah. – I, I don't know. It just seemed like a weird comment to say when you know this team is going to be extremely good when you're talking. And first of all, they were complaining too. Like, all these Eastern Conference teams were saying, oh – well, we have, you know, one, two, and four, and five seeds, you know, all playing in the top half of this bracket, if you think about it. Because it was like the top five teams in the league, three of them were in that bracket and going to be playing each other. So they were all complaining about it. And I'm like, I don't know how you can say, oh, we thought it was going to be easy. Yeah. I didn't care for that comment very much. I mean, ask the Bolts. Did they think it was going to be easy? Yeah. Uh, I if mean, anybody. Blue Jackets squeak in, and you're getting swept right now, essentially, 3-0 in the series. So nothing is easy in the playoffs. And that was evident that Boston was not ready in this first game. They got punched at home, and people started leaving. This is now the second time, and we'll get to another game where fans started leaving later on. But it, it didn't look good. Uh, I'll just put it like that. But it was pretty much in a very even series. So we'll take game one, for example. Toronto had nine rush chances versus Boston's eight. Likewise, Toronto had 13 slot shots compared to Boston's 18. So it's pretty even across the board. Even their offensive time was about a minute difference from each other. But Toronto just had the edge with a 4-1 win. Anderson's looked pretty sharp in the series so far. Uh, I, I've been a little impressed by him because I've not been a huge Anderson fan. I mean, he's posting a 2.5 goals against average right now. But his save percentage is very high, actually, at .937. So, yes, he's been having goals scored on him, but... Boston is generating a lot of shot attempts, which is something I alluded to earlier before this series, which I thought would be the key for Boston winning, is they generate a lot of shots. I mean, look at the shots, 41 to 31. And that was in game two. That's a complete just 180 almost from game one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's quite crazy. Look, the slot shots went up from... So the Maple Leafs have only eight slot shots compared to Boston's 20. That is an insane amount. I mean, we were talking about earlier how... Blue Jackets have done well at limiting the slot chances. Well, they definitely did not hear, or uh, the Maple Leafs did not hear. So you're talking about tons of high danger chances. And of course, Anderson's going to give up several goals. And it resulted in a 4-1 loss, despite having a really good safe percentage so far in the series. I thought it was humorous that the Leafs win the first game 4-1 to and Boston's like, you know what, we'll spot you and we'll, we'll win 4-1 to as well. 
Yeah, this game, like you said, Anderson, I thought really kept them yeah. in the game, but it was really uh, Boston's forecheck just caused so many turnovers. It was that was the difference maker in the game right there, despite uh, Anderson's efforts. Yeah, and this game got chippy towards the end too. Uh, I mean, it, it it got pretty violent, so it, it was a fun game to watch. Uh, this game too, but you know now that the series is even up that there's going to be some bad blood. They know it's <laughs> they know it's not easy, and they're going to go back to Toronto even tonight, and this is going to be an excellent game. Honestly, still thinking seven in the series. That's that's where my heart is. It looked like, by the way, we said it was a toss-up. First game, 4-1. to one. Second game, 4-1. to one. Yeah. Each team won one. So and and what if you, you compare know? those numbers you mentioned, you compared them a little bit between game one and game two. If you look at all together, they're pretty much even across the board. Yeah. It's not a close game. It's not two to three. It's getting blown out one way or the other. But uh, you average it out together, and uh, they're about to, they're about equal. Now you really have to wonder how much effect that uh, Nazem Kadri suspension will have in this in the rest of the series. Yeah, I just don't understand players right now with some of their hits. Like we were talking about earlier with Kucherov and now Kadri. It's just it's very surprising that you want to play hard, but you need to play clean too because yeah. you don't want to cost your team a potential goal uh, or, or literally a game and at this point. just in now, the player safety department just tweeted that Joe Thornton has been suspended one game. That for, literally just popped up on our phones. For his check so uh, to uh, Thomas Nozick. So. That is perfect timing as far as our, we're concerned. And how many games was that again? One game. For one game. Jumbo. Okay, that's not too bad. But but he's a guy. Like, Kadri has a track record of like trying to hurt guys. Jumbo probably was just uh, – you know, it wasn't malicious, I'll put it that way. He's yeah. a grandfatherly figure. <laughs> yes. You asked Ryan Reeves. Have you seen that beard? I mean, <laughs> come on. So going down to the next game on the Eastern, which is going to be the Capitals versus Carolina. Now, this is one series that I have the Capitals winning, but it was interesting. I tweeted these guys before the series started. Dom's projections had that this game was basically a 50-50 toss-up. And if you compare the um, the stats from game one and game two, it's essentially been a 50-50. Just the Capitals have, have been able to find ways just to hold that slight advantage. They took the first game 4-2. While the Hurricanes had the lead in shots on goals 29-18, they were both the same, and the slot shots were 8-9. and nine. The scoring rush chances were 4-8 to eight in favor of the Capitals. But still, it was a very close game. But then I was looking at the stat sheet of who was scoring, and I was like, of course it's going to be Backstrom times two, and then Ovechkin. Yeah, I mean, it's all your usual suspects. Really, the X factor in the series has been the power play. Um, I, I mean, that that's really what it has boiled down to. The Capitals are operating at 25%, which is something you do come to expect with them, especially with that top line of Kuznetsov. You're going to have Backstrom and Ovi on the ice for uh, your first power play unit. You talk about yeah. some firepower. That I mean, first goal, or first game, they went two for four on the power two play. Two for four on the power play, and it was funny because we were talking about this. We, we had a screenshot, and Ovi's wide open <laughs> in his office again, and we had a great debate about – do you just guard Ovi or do you start, you know, th this opens up essentially another person. And you kind of saw that on the Backstrom goal where, well, we got other people guarded. Well, Backstrom's open on the back post. Boom, it's in. So it's it, it's really pick your poison <laughs> with, yep. the, with, the, with the Caps power play. I, I mean, they are incredible at the power play. They have great movement. And, of course, having Ovechkin on your power play, that's your ace in the hole. And Matt and I were kind of talking about this. We've got opposing thoughts on this process. I'm about somebody trying to not really care about Ovechkin's open or not. I don't care at the end of the day. Ovechkin is a good scorer. 
but there's so many other dangerous playmakers on that team that he essentially, to me, becomes the person you least care about because you know 60% of the time it works every time that when Ovechkin gets the puck, he's going to score. But when you got Backstrom and you've got Oshie and all them on that other power play units, it literally, as Daniel say, it's pick your poison. Well, I'm from the school of thought that matters, which is when you have a top five goal scorer of all time and you've got 30-plus feet of open ice around the guy, you have to put a body in the front of him. I mean, I get maybe not putting two guys on him because that leaves uh, like Oshie wide open or something, but you have to put a guy on him. I will take my odds with Oshie or Backstrom scoring because I'd l- I have to make them prove it to me. Ovechkin's already proved he's dangerous, so I have to have a body on that guy just to make it a little more difficult to score. They might still score on us because my team might suck, but <laughs> I can't make it easy for him. I can't put uh, Ovechkin a-, a puck on the platter like that. Well, I think the Canes have taken a little bit out of your playbook, Matt, because after that you know, power play goal, it's kind of interesting to note that Ovi's only had one goal and Backstrom's had three. Yeah. So, as I said, pick your poison, but it's it's not working out for the Canes right now. But that power play has really, really been the X factor in that. I mean, they're operating at 25%, which means obviously the Canes penalty kill is only at 75%. That is not where you want to be. I know they're going to try to rally. They're going to come home to the storm surge. I think it's tonight. Aren't they playing tonight? They are, but they're not doing storm surges in the playoff. Mm. So Don Cherry's okay with that, right? Anyway. Yes, he's quite I, okay with that. I digress. What were you going to say, Matt? Um, I don't know if you guys saw that uh, their youngster, Andrei Svechnikov, is now the eighth youngest person in a playoff history to have two goals. He's only 19 years old and some change, and he was the two goals <laughs> by himself everything for game one. In game them. one, yeah. Now, I did thought they rebounded quite well in game two, and they had um great fight, too, for being on the road. They actually ended up forcing an overtime game. They kept b- battling back. It was a very back-and-forth game. We were actually in the arena uh, getting updates uh, as this game was progressing. But once again, uh, I think it was Orpik has another game-winning goal in overtime, which he is like been Captain Clutch during the, the finals and now the start of this postseason. He has been killing it. So... I don't know what he drinks before the games in the postseason, but he's obviously doing something right in the pregame ritual. And this is the game. Uh, some huge screenshots went out of Coach losing his crap oh. over when Furlan got a major, and he probably should not have got a major, if you ask me. And Coach obviously didn't think so, and he was <laughs> – I've never seen a, a referee get chewed out as much as it was this game. It was impressive. There was veins popping out of the neck and yes, face. Yes, it, uh, it was a heated debate. Yes. Well, to be fair, refereeing in general this entire first round has been super questionable. Yes. yes. I know we're all surprised. No. No, big shock. And – and we're not just saying this from like a Predators perspective. I've watched almost every single hockey game so far in the playoffs. And I've noticed a trend of the first two periods are basically the same consistently. But then the third period, I don't know if you've caught this, but the third period, they're like, they finally loosen up and they're like, ah, oh, we'll let that slide. But in the first two periods, I was like, that was an egregious, yeah. like instant two minutes. I, I don't know. That's just me. That's just been my cumulative. Uh, eyes upon every single game not as a Preds fan just as a lover of hockey it has been a little back and forth with the uh, the penalty calls but it's been nice because I haven't seen any really questionable goaltender interference yet which boy it is early in the in the playoffs so uh, I'm just waiting for it to happen there's going to be a pivotal goal that's going to get called back you know it you're laughing but you know it's going to happen eventually I would like to point out the pretty much the last play or two of that game of game two 
Uh, Peter Mrazek stands on his head pretty much to come up big at the end of the third period just to send the game into OT. Yep. Uh, about his only great note he's done this <laughs> series. But a very heady play from defending uh, Stanley Cup uh, winning team is that that last play when they scored in, in overtime, I don't know if you caught this, he, they exploited the D-man. He didn't. He lost his stick somehow, and he was trying to play defense. Yep. And the guy who – I forget the na- who it was exactly, but he located that, that that man was out of stick. So he passed the puck to the guy in front of his lane covering him because he knew he couldn't cover efficiently. And mm-hmm. they exploited that fact, and that's what won them the game in OT. That's a very heady play from whoever that was. Yeah, and as you said, Mrazek has a 3.5 goals against and a – Point eight six yeah. save percentage. Dead, so, dead last out of the goalies. Actually, no. We'll get to him later. Who? Oh, oh you know, know who it is. Oh, you know who right. it is. Yeah. oh, you know who it is. <laughs> I, right. This is chronicled. <laughs> I have thoroughly talked about him in my bracket I'm selection, sorry. so don't worry. He's we, 15 out of 16. Yeah, 15 out of 16. <laughs> you're, don't you're, insult him by calling him the boy, worst. Your boy is much better, okay? Yes, much mm-hmm. And that moves down into the Penguins versus the Islanders. And amongst our group, I am the only one who picked the Islanders to beat oh, the Pens. He had to say that, right? Look, I got to brag where I get right. And so if you haven't been following this, we said earlier that Crosby's been held without a point, and the Penguins have fell apart. And the Islanders, for the first time in 36 years, are on the cusp of sweeping somebody. Yeah, I, I mean, you got to be excited for Islander fans. I mean, they're – they're playing in their barn again. It is rocking. That first game in overtime, when uh, I think it was Barzell was completely open, he hits the post and then Bailey puts in the rebound. It was just mass hysteria in that arena. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you could tell that these fans have been deprived, and it is like it's the Penguins too on top of it. Like I mean, they're, they're they don't like each other. It's nice to see Trots too moving on to another team who they basically deemed wasn't going to be good and then all of a sudden is good and now they're in the playoffs and they're playing excellent defense absolutely excellent defense through this series you know i wonder if the uh, oilers are sad about trading jordan everly (laughs) because he has been just a thorn in their side this series the islanders overall we know barry trotz is a defensive first coach and goes back to what you guys said earlier defense win you championships well defense has entirely suffocated the penguins offense it's been one of those games where, like, I was watching it, and every time there was a every time a penguin had a puck, there was a man on him. There was a man yeah. forcing him. The forecheck has been huge, not only in this game, but I've seen that as a theme overall this postseason. Like one thing stands out to me. I don't know which Islanders D man had it, but Crosby had the puck, waiting to take a shot, and the Islander defenseman basically just ran at him like a bull, just basically just knocked him off that puck as hard as he could. And when Crosby hit the ice you would have thought the best thing in the world happened. Those fans were <laughs> crazy about the fact that Crosby was on his butt. And you talked about how good Eberle has been. Actually, Matt Martin is number two in the playoffs for scoring chances for the Islanders. So they've been really capitalizing on that. And here's another interesting stat against Pittsburgh. It was the point who pointed this out. And they said that Pittsburgh has allowed more odd man rushes than any other team this year. And that's directly what led Barzell to that overtime winner in this game was an yeah. odd man rush. They've led, they've had 16. Yeah. So that's, that is how you have to do it. You have to capitalize on the opportunity when it presents itself. So credit to the Islanders. And speaking of capitalizing on the opportunities, they've been playing great defense, but their power play is also at 20% too. Yeah. So you're getting a, very healthy power play on top of playing good defense. That is going to win you a series. That is going to get you far in the playoffs. And it's just nice to see it with Trotz. I mean, it, he he's obviously 
proving that he's a great coach at this point. You know, we may get my matchup that we were talking about. The Barry Trotz Stanley Cup champion team, Capitals, versus the new Barry Trotz Islanders team. That would be quite a storyline. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's going to be interesting, and I really hope that happens for the second round. There, there's quite a few storylines that could happen, potentially, and that would be one of them that I would love to see. So before we move over to the Western Conference, on these Eastern teams that we have, knowing that what we know, do we think it's possible that the Bolts come back and force a Game 7? No, I don't. Uh, it's statistically improbable. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're probably, what, have 10% chance to move on at this point to Round 2. I will say this, though. If there's any team capable of winning four in a row, it's the Bolts. But likely, no. Because at this point, if Columbus can, in one of any of the remaining games, any of the four games, say it goes to seven, all they have to do is come out and play a really solid game, and it be one of those games that's like, it's a 2-2 game, and then they get a weird puck bounce, and it goes in, and that's the series. Yeah, Like, that's the thing. It's hanging by At this point now... The Bolts have to execute all four games flawlessly. They have to go out and crush the Jackets because they cannot give them a single piece of daylight. I mean, this team knows that they were down 3-0 in a game and they came back and scored four points. That's how much confidence the Jackets have right now. So I just don't see it. I'm going to give them like a less than 10% chance of advancing. My bracket's busted. I really don't care. (laughs) So. So let's get on to the West then. So the first game is Calgary versus the Avalanche. And this series, surprisingly, is tied up. They are yeah. lucky to tie it up. I don't know. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Smith has actually come out and put uh, some crazy numbers. He, I, yeah, he's the best of all the goalies right he's now. He's the best of all the goalies, and it is a little shocking because I haven't been high on him before, but he is posting a 1.4 goals against average and a point. Nine five four safe That's percentage. He's we saw the stat the other day. He supposedly has the highest safe percentage in history of the playoffs. I'd like to know what the game sample size for that is, but oh, at a nine five zero right now. But it was like ten years ago when he was in the playoffs and really <laughs> yeah, young. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that literally they said it on the air. It was like it had been like at least seven or eight years before he had played a playoff game since this last yeah. season. So let's look at the first game. He posts a shutout. So, I mean, so maybe he is one of those players, kind of like Colin Wilson is for the Avalanche. <laughs> when it comes to playoff time, it's an entirely different beast. Dude. I will just say this, though. The Avalanche only got 26 shots on goal that game. But so. if you watch this game, his glove hand was strong. But, oh, and yes. he knew it. And I, I, watching this was kind of comical. I was kind of laughing a little bit. He was kind of dramatic. He was, like, falling <laughs> over. Smith? Yeah, yeah. And Smith's dramatic. His legs up. He, yeah, it's kind of like when it's an like outfielder Bishop. jumps into the wall to catch the ball. Like, you're just being dramatic. You're diving, and, and he is doing that. Just kind of a little drama to the show, I guess. But, hey, he threw a shutout. I mean, what are you going to say? <laughs> I mean, he's been the hot one, and he's got the hot glove, pun intended. Uh, I mean – it was very interesting, and Kyle has the uh, game one stats pulled up here. I mean, 26 shots on goal for the Avalanche, 32 compared to the Flames. You have 15 slot shots, and that equated to a lot of the high-danger chances that Matt yeah. were talking about with a lot of the saves. 10 for the Flames. Rush scoring chances 4-1 to one in favor of the Avalanche, and that was where Smith came up big time, but yet four goals. <laughs> For the Flames, as it stands, in an improbable shutout. I mean, there there should have been at least two or three goals probably in that game for the Avalanche because McKinnon, McKinnon has looked like a man possessed, yeah. but I just have a feeling that 
I have a feeling the Flames are going to win and prevail in the series overall, but McKinnon is going to do everything possible to basically try to even the series up, which happened in game two. Yes, Colorado did a much better job this game and actually dominated time in the offensive zone by almost a two-to-one margin. Now, what I did like is we were talking about the first game, Avalanche had those four rush chances that Smith saved. This time around, Bro. not so lucky. Avalanche had 15 rush 15. scoring chances compared to Calgary's seven. Yeah, McKinnon looked like he was shot out of a cannon for most of this game. And it was very evident in overtime when he gets a yeah. pass basically through the neutral zone and he blows past the defenseman like he is standing still. And he pulls this puck back to him and just snipes yeah. a bar down. I mean, it, it, it was, was a beautiful. Beauty. One of the best goals this uh and, and full speed, too. Yeah. I mean, he was flying. He, and, of course, like you could tell how much speed he had because he couldn't even stop. He literally just like swept around the goal, and he was doing his celly through it. And I'm just like, dude, that was that was a heck of an individual effort. Uh, and it, it, it's been incredible to watch him play so far through this series. And I think he will be the X factor moving forward, but I don't think he's going to be able to do it all. But I mentioned earlier how I felt like they scraped this win together. He actually – the Avalanche had an empty net. They pulled their goalie in the last – it was three minutes, maybe three and a half minutes. They pulled a little early to try to make sure to force another goal one way or the other, and they did. And so that's what brought them to OT. And then, of course, that's when McKinnon rips a, rips a winner. So you can't really blame Smith for that goal, as Kyle said earlier, as he likes to hate on my goalies. But that was just Nate McKinnon doing what he does. So fortuitous for them to get an empty netter, take it OT, and McKinnon is McKinnon. I will say this, though, and one scary stat if you're a Flames fan, because this series is even up, and that's thanks to McKinnon. But the Avalanche power play is at 0% right now. Ouch. 0%. And we know how good they are on the power play. So I, I, I'm just going to say this. If I'm a Flames fan, I'm cautiously optimistic moving forward, but you gotta be you got to be a little scared that if that power play wakes up and starts posting like 20%, I don't know how much Smith can do. You know, it's it's one of those he he's going to do all he can, but you know, uh, on the power play, some of those are going to go in. I have to say, I am, yes, a little reserved. You know, some teams are just oh, we got this in the bag. I'm a little cautious on uh, Flames and, now, and it's a little shocking because yeah. I thought I I, I was me and you very both are high the, on the Flames. Yeah, I, I mean, I had the Flames in five. Yeah. Didn't you pick Flames in five? Yeah, I did as well. Yeah, I had the so, Flames in six. Okay, so Kyle, a little bit more cautiously optimistic. I just thought the Flames' firepower would be able to, to you know, to overcome the Avs a little bit stronger than they are. I, I, I don't know. This this series could be a little longer than I thought. So uh, that's a side note for whatever it's worth. But, you know, we'll see what happens. we still got plenty of hockey to play in that series. And now we get to what I would think. Oh. And we all kind of agreed on this that this, this is the most entertaining series, yeah. dude. And it we're going to get up to the hype. We're going to get to your boy, who is just <laughs> sucking in goal. We're just going to say that right now. He is terrible. We told you he was terrible. No, it, here, hold on, hold on. Before the series, he knew he was bad because Matt even agreed with me yeah. because I was trying to sway his bracket a little bit, and it was one of those things we were back and forth. And he, I think, originally was trying to pick the Sharks over the, the Knights. No. Oh, no, no, no. Well, to be fair, game one didn't go the Sharks' way. And so that kind of led credence to the fact that, hey, there might be something there. Yeah, the, the Shark Tank was rocking that game one. Five to two victory. And uh, I thought the lid was going to blow off the tank. 
And interestingly enough, in this game, I noticed that both Burns' goal and Vlasic's goal went high glove on uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. I don't know if that's some kind of a scouting report, but I know they were intentionally uh, shooting in that location. It scored him two goals from it. So that might be something that they've been doing to try to target that area, supposedly a weakness of his, I guess. High glove, off the face, whatever counts. (laughs) Yeah, whatever, however you can get it, man. Yeah, and it was you have your usual suspects scoring all the first goals. It's like Pavelski, Burns, Vlasic were the first three goals. I mean, and that's about to blow the roof off. But it is interesting to note, Stone comes out with two goals already. Yeah, dude. And that line has been extremely hot, which we'll get through all of their stats once we get through game two. But, man, they have been impressive so far. But overall, Sharks come out, dominate game one. And then game two, Jones showed up, baby. My boy. True, in true he form. Sh- he showed up hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, game two, Vegas takes it 5-3. It's kind of even. They both had the same amount of rush scoring chances. Their slot shots, about a two-shot differential. And the funny thing was, though, is that the Sharks did. Remember what we said? The Sharks had a lot of offense, but the goaltending was going to be questionable. Because in game oh, two, it was. they had 37 shots compared to the Vegas' 23. But five of those 23 shots got through. It was enough to give them a 1-1 series tie. And well, he got three scored on the first period. Yeah, let's let's go. The this first was period was wild. Yeah. The Knights get three goals in six minutes to start the game. And Jones is pulled. And they pull Jones. Dell comes in. And then the Sharks get three goals in three minutes to end the period. Yeah. Six goals in the first period. And a goalie pulled. <laughs> and that's the yeah that's apparently the now San Jose is the only team in playoff history to tie a game in the first period after going down 3-0. But then to start the second period the Sharks scored once again it was like in the first minute or so but it gets waved off and brought back. Then Vegas scores another minute later on the power play. It was wham bam kind of a game here. This is probably the best game all of all whole series. Only difference so far is that one team pulled their starting goaltender and the other didn't after giving up three goals. Well, that, that's true. At this point, it's almost too late. But no, that means one team actually believes in their starting goaltender. Yeah. And here's another key difference maker in this game. Even though the stats are what they are, Vegas had two shorthanded goals this game. Yeah, that's killer. You can't have that, especially at home. I, I mean, they, they were, those are like daggers, too. Yeah. So, I mean, we were expecting that this to be a very tight series, but them going and stealing one, I think honestly gave – Vegas even more swag going into game three. And then on top of it, they already knew, we can probably get this Jones guy. And it showed again because look at these stats. I mean, go ahead, Kyle. What do we got here for game three? The stat that stands out the most to me in this was the rush scoring chances. Rush or slot. Yeah, yeah. Vegas had 12 compared to the Sharks' single rush scoring chance. Wow. I mean, they defensively, had the Sharks locked down in that area. Now, Sharks did come back and get three goals. But, I mean, they only got 50% of what Vegas got, and Vegas got six. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, two I'm, of those were power play goals. Yeah. I, I'm going to point out one key moment in the game. So, I was watching this one live. It is a three-to-one game. The Golden Knights go on the power play, which they've been very hot on the power play. I, I mean, yeah. it, it – it, you don't want to give them <laughs> any time with the man advantage. So it's, you know, they're going around the the wall. Oh, it comes out the neutral zone turnover and Evander Kane picks up the puck and is going one-on-one with flurry. And I'm like, this is going to be huge because if he scores here, it is a three to two game. Sharks are right back in it. 
what happens? He skates up to Flurry. Flurry comes out pretty aggressively, and he comes out with an epic poke check yeah. because he knew he was yeah, coming he in did. with speed to try to do the uh, like a left right yep. and try to stuff it home on the back post. He comes out with an epic poke check, clears the puck out of the way, and 30 seconds later, the Knights end up scoring on that power play, yep. making it a 4-1 game instead of a 3-2 game. And that's when I said, there it was. Goaltending is the difference in the series, and that was that was literally the proof and prime example manifested right there on the TV. I mean, you're talking about a two-goal swing instantly. Boom. Because your goalie came out and made a huge stop, and it juiced your team up, and you go down the other end and score a goal. And on top of that, this is the game when you really had the Mark Stone effect. He had a hat trick in this game. Oh, dude, that top line, it's insane. It's uh, Stone, Pacioretty, and Stastny have a, uh, recorded 10 out of 13 Golden Knights goals. Yeah, just <laughs> just this game, they had 12 points. Yeah, it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane what they're doing right now. But, side note, if they come back down from Earth, which I, they're not going to be posting those numbers every night, and they will come back down eventually, that is something to note for Knights fans as a little bit of concern because they basically have one line driving the team right now. I mean, at 10 goals out of 13 goals from that top line. That's insane. Yeah, if you can do what Columbus does and find a way to shut down that one line, you're going to increase your odds very favorably. You're talking about Mark Stone. One thing that I text these guys today, which I found interesting, which I actually learned from Jillian Fisher, one of her recap videos, is that Mark Stone's six goals is more than eight teams' total goals this playoff series yeah, so far. But there's a lot of there's been a lot of series that have been more defensive minded, like the Dallas Stars and, and Pred series. that It's been a defensive game, and defensively-minded teams have been squaring off. So I don't put too much into that. And also I think Jones has greatly helped amplify the stats for Stone, Pacioretty, yeah. and, uh, and um, Stastny. But like I said, I think those stats are going to come back down. They're going to come back down to earth a little bit more. So Knights fans, try to restrain just a little bit of your, your anticipation. Because, by the way, Jones has a – Point, <laughs> you're you're laughing. It, it is a point eight four nine save percentage, and the goals against is five point two three a game, the highest in the league, just just beating out Vasilevsky at a three point seven three. First of all, that's crazy that Vasilevsky is fifteenth amongst goaltenders at three point seven three, but Jones is almost two goals a game higher than that. Well, Aaron Dell might find himself in the starting goaltender crease soon. They should have pulled. Oh, I, I have to I'm, say, I'm I'm glad I picked Vegas because in the last game and a half or so, I'm really starting to feel Vegas is going to edge this one out. And we all knew it was going to be close. I think me and you had seven games, but I, I'm. I had seven, it. but it might be sooner now, honestly, because yeah. uh, it looked like it looked like the Knights made the correct adjustments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From game one to game two, and from game two to game three, they looked even better. They're only getting stronger. They still have another home game. <laughs> I, I honestly I feel the series is three to one going back to the shark tank and they're just gonna be holding on for dear life at this point. So So how do you guys feel about the blues and the Jets though? Oh man, so what what's been crazy about this is you expect Winnipeg to play, you know, halfway decent in their own barn, which they do in the regular season, but it's crazy how bad they've been playing at home since last season too. So it goes even back into the Pred series where no team could win at home, you know. The same thing spills over into this series. So, so far, it has always been the away team winning. It, it, it's almost comical because the Blues go in, take the first uh, game 2-1, to one, and the second game 4-3. to three. 
I thought Bennington stole the first game, honestly. Bennington's oh, actually yeah, yeah. been doing really good. So far through three games, he's at a point nine two six save save percentage, which is seventh overall for the NHL. And, you know, perimeter shots, he saved off he saved all of them for first and slot shots, he's eleventh, though out of the goalies at a point eight one eight. Yeah, and this goes to show that you're really gonna have to work it to the slot. And I thought the Jets did an incredible job of this and did much better in the game three where they scored six yeah. goals. Yeah, they, that was the game they had to make. They made some adjustments to their lineup. Obviously, they had to because they were going down two games. But they, they certainly did. They're just one of those teams, like Daniel said, the, as soon as we started this, is that they're not a team that you expect just to be like get punched in the mouth like that and go down because all of a sudden you're going, man, that's a juggernaut in the Central that looks like they're about to go the same way of Tampa. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of us, did we all pick seven games on this? I mean, looking at, I picked seven games. You picked I have six, seven as well. Seven, so, I mean, the consensus was a long series. And when you lose the first two at home, you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this this could be quick. So, thought it was a big, big bounce-back win in game three. I mean, look at the shots. About even shots are, uh, the slot shots are 15 to 13 in favor of the Jets. But the real, the real thing right here is the rush scoring chances nine to five compared to the Blues? So that was really the difference maker, and that goes to show that maybe you need to get some odd man rushes. Maybe you need to get a little bit more speed to beat Bennington because obviously the perimeter stuff not working, slot stuff it's working. Yeah, it doesn't matter how good of a juggernaut you are on paper. It's all about making those micro adjustments in the playoffs. Know how to combat that one player, that one line, or that special teams unit and finding a way to to overcome the deficit, whatever it is, to get on top. Yeah, and speaking of that, the Jets' power play has been at 33%, despite being down 1-2 yeah. in the series. So, I, I, I don't know. It's it, it, That's interesting to know. It seems like the Blues have tried to limit their power play ch- you know, opportunities by taking less penalties. Good call. But they still got a little bit of work to do on the PK, that is for sure, because their power play is only operating at 16.7%. So it is a little shocking that they're winning the series right now. But they have another game coming up in St. Louis. They really want to win this one to go up 3-1 to one in the series because if you lose another one and then it's 2-2, two to two, now anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even though the road team has won every single game in the series, I mean, I guess technically that would work out <laughs> for, for the Blues because uh, the Jets have more home games. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen in the series, but... I honestly think it's going to be a six-game series at this point. Who knows? Maybe they can put up a fight and make it a seven. Well, I know the Preds are hoping that's the case because they're having their own struggles with Dallas right now. And even though tonight is, as we were recording on Monday night, tonight is game three in Dallas, the first game for the Preds was kind of interesting because you're like, this is not what we thought was going to happen. We really thought coming out the gate that the Preds were just going to easily manhandle Dallas. I, I don't know. I didn't think this was going to be an easy series just because going into it, we knew that Dallas and the Preds had the two lowest goal against averages in the Western Conference. They're one and two, ironically enough. And guess what? It is showing on the ice because it has been all about the defense in this game and the whole series so far. Um, I thought that the Preds came out a little flat, though, to be honest, in game one. I thought they only played half a game. And this is the kind of crap that makes me nervous as a Predators fan and why I said they'd be fortunate to make it through game one. That's why I went back my bracket 
right before the game started and switched it to having Dallas uh, upsetting Nashville on this one. And me and Kyle have a wager on this one, so if Dallas wins, I get some of Kyle's money. And if I win, then we'll get some of Matt's money. That's right. But it was an interesting game. Nashville didn't play a full game of hockey. No. They come I mean, they come out storming in the first. And Roman Yossi has that beautiful backhand goal. Yeah. Like I thought the lid was gonna blow off yeah. Bridgestone. Everyone's pumped. That is the start you expected. Boom, 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 come out, get tons of shot on goals. They look super hot. And then the second period comes and you're like, Welcome back, inconsistent Preds. I don't know how you go into this like how do you go into the locker room in the second period and be like, That was a great start. Let's not do that in the second. Because it's I, we've I mean, seen all the, season. I mean, the gas pedal literally went from floor to about halfway. You know, like we're at cruising highway speed now. Like we're gonna go seventy miles an hour. Like they came out at a hundred. To be fair, when this first period came through, I was actually getting ready to go to sleep for the night because it had been a long day for me. So I was like, I knew Daniel was watching the game. I knew Matt was watching the game. So I wasn't too much worried about this. And I was like, Oh, hey, we're up. And I wake up the next morning and I saw that we uh, lost. And my first thought was, I bet we didn't play the full game. And then I read through everything. I was like, sure enough, we didn't play the full game. Yeah, and give credit to Dallas. I mean, they were very opportunistic in this game. You had the first goal was off Haskinen, the rookie defenseman, and it went off Ekholm's leg. By the way, this shot would have been three feet wide. (laughs) I mean, it it was three feet wide. But what does coach always say? Throw pucks to the net and good stuff happens. That is what happened. That is not what was happening for the Preds. I mean, look at some of these stats, Kyle, right here. The Preds had the offensive zone possession time. Seven minutes. Oh, my gosh. Well, almost eight minutes almost compared, compared to the Stars having almost five minutes. But still, at the end of the day, we see that Dallas capitalized and the odd man rushes was four compared to the Preds one and got a 3-2 to win. And what is I said at the beginning that I was kind of worried and almost did pick Dallas because I said Dallas is one of those teams I don't like to watch because they seem to always be able to capitalize on the Preds' mistakes, and they did. Yeah, and also the Achilles heel showed itself in, in in true form, and that was in the power play. So Dallas looked extremely dangerous on the power play this night. They were one for three, which is, I mean, that's obviously good odds. You want to take that. But the Preds were 0 for 4. Shocker. And we're there's your game. And there's your game. Like, you score one, it's OT. You know, you're moving on. You, you're juiced up at home. You're probably winning the OT game. And that's the thing that is killing me is so far we're still 0% for the power play, which, by the way, it's funny because the Avs and the Bolts are 0% on their power play, which never thought they were going to be joining the Preds in the power play terrible category. But here we are. You know, the postseason's just been crazy. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we went 0 for 4, and that's basically your game. Well, it's kind of like the point said. You know, they had a very, as I called it, a very scathing review of the Preds' power play. They said the Preds rarely create high-danger shots on goal, preferring to bomb pucks from the outside instead. And kind of like in Game 2, we saw that when every time the Preds got in the power play, there was no traffic from the net. There was nobody there. They were literally taking shots from the point, hoping that somebody would skate by get a deflection. There was not a single person just planted between Bishop and the, and the defense. We've talked about it all year. Tape-to-tape passing, no driving in, creating lanes. No shooting to try to get like that down and dirty goal where yeah. the puck's trickling in front of the net and you got five people scrambling for it and then it kicks out and then someone puts uh, – there's none of that. It's 
It's shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Subban's at the point. Subban shoots it. He either gets blocked before it even gets to your guy who's defending, or there's not even a guy defending, and it just bounces off into the corner where they then slap it down the ice and kill the power play. Well, despite all that, do you know what I liked in game two? Uh, I think I, I think I know who you're going to pick. It was Rocco Grimaldi. Yeah, and this was uh, kind of a last-minute thing. So uh, Boyle gets scratched, or LV scratch, which is due to illness, which we later find out is due to an appendectomy. Yeah, so he actually has his appendix removed, which is actually really bad because now he is week-to-week because he has to recover from this surgery. So that is actually a pretty big loss for the Preds. Boyle has been quite hot since we've acquired him. So Yeah, and he's your down and dirty in front of the net guy too. Yeah, so getting to that in a moment, we also had another big down and dirty guy get injured in this game, and that was Simmons who took a bomb of a shot off the knee. Yeah. He actually didn't even skate this morning. He's he not tri- RV. Yeah, he, he came back on the ice, by the way, in the second period to try and go for it, which – you got to love Simmons because he's a guy with big heart. He has big emotions, and you know he wants to leave it all out on the ice. And he came back and tried, and I think the staff was like, no, let's let's just rest you. You know, like it'd be better for him to rest and be back in the series eventually than just be out. Being more of a liability. <laughs> for, yeah, further yeah. injure it. So looks like he isn't going to play game three either. Maybe be back for game three or five. Yeah, they said tonight, Oh, like I said, if, when you're listening to this, the game will actually already be over. So we don't know yet if we're going to win or not, but Salamaki drew into the lineup tonight. Which is the logical choice, I think, because that's a bigger guy. He's more of your bull type of player. He, he He's a down and dirty player. We haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> Granted, I thought he died at one point in the season because he hadn't been on our roster in about you know four months. So he went to Milwaukee. Apparently he did really well there. He looked good, conditioned well. He's back. I'm sure he's going to be absolutely pumped to be playing playoff hockey again or just hockey in general. So it'll be nice to see him on there, and he's going to add that grit that we actually need better than Cody McLeod coming back in the lineup. So I'm sorry. I don't know if we're just saving Cody McLeod for the chance that we play the Blues or the Jets. I really think it's when you're going to see McLeod come out if we get that far. I don't know if he comes out at all, to be honest. <laughs> because if you look after the series that's been tied 1-1, Nashville leads just barely in expected goals at 6.5 compared to Dallas's 5.7. And they control offensive zone possession just a little over two more minutes than Dallas does. So like we said, this is going to be a very close game. It's defense, man. And it's going to be, I think if Dallas wins this series, they're going to, like I said, capitalize on the little mistakes the Preds are going to make, which is why I want to have some fast skaters like Rocco, Freddie Goudreau, just have some very fast skaters to help just kind of keep that offensive and expected goals going. Well, to credit this, the first period was scoreless. We come out in the second. Ekholm has a terrible turnover where he's not paying attention. Well, to be fair, he had a terrible night. Well, the funny thing is, his course he was really high because he was paired with Subban, who was having a literally off-the-charts night. I, I mean, he was dominant in every way possible. Not only did the stats back it up, the visual test. You're just sitting there watching him at the game, and he looked good. And this reflected in his defensive pairing, a.k.a. Ekholm, who leaned off these stats. But on top of it, he just committed stupid penalties. I I, I mean, there were several uh, cross-check. He, he had one that was interference, and then he mouths off to the ref. Yeah, you want to see the ref be a little bit more thick-skinned because players are going to chirp. I mean, that's what they're going to do. 
But at the same time, you have to look at Eckholm and say, dude, it's the playoffs. Like, don't cost us another two-minute kill, which our kill was phenomenal that night. Lucky. Uh, uh, no, I mean, if you were at the game, the kill was perfect. Uh, they basically didn't have hardly any chance or any chances on the power play. But at the same time, Nashville is known to take a lot of penalties. It took six penalties this game, and Dallas already shoots like 30% more this series than Nashville. Yep. So you have to parry that number down. Or else you got lucky it's 0 for 6 this night, but maybe the next night it will be the difference in the game. Oh, yeah. Like, over something that could have been stopped. Game three, you better not be taking those penalties. I hope Livy went in there and said, did you see all this? Yeah, you better not know, do this. I know we had the same discussion last playoffs too. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we were taking penalties left and right. But as we said, like, look at some of these – I mean, his course, he's almost off the chart here. I know we actually had to adjust the numbers. I think Brian was manually adjusting the numbers because he said PK's numbers were so high on the course for this night. But, uh, yeah, Ekholm, you can't do that stuff in the playoffs. He took like two or three penalties by himself. He, he gave up a turnover where he wasn't paying attention, where Sagan literally just skates right in. Great saucer pass, by the way, to Jamie Benn, yeah. who chips it up out of the, the air. By the way, that, that yeah. pass was in midair. So, great hand-eye coordination. I'm going to give him that goal. Peck couldn't really do anything. I mean. I think it's really come down to, like I said, the Preds are going to have to solve Bishop more than two to three times in a game to get past him to win this series. We've got to get better at the power play. The power play just cannot – we're not going to make it. Bro, it, it's further up. than the second round, I don't think, <laughs> if we can't get our power play going. Well, that's why I had them losing in the second round because I just don't feel good about it. But, hey, anywhere to go for up, up but here because, I mean, we're at 0%. Here's the question, though. Can only go up. Preds get bounced in round one because, at this point, we don't know. If Dallas if Dallas wins the seri- wins tonight's game and takes a 2-1 series lead yeah. and they come back and they kick us out in round one or if we win and get kicked out in round two again for the second year in a row, People don't want to talk about it, but do you possibly think about a coaching change at this point? Well, here's or even or even an, even an assistant coach change. Here's something interesting: we have a kind of a history of uh, somebody mentioned on Twitter of studded players coming over to our system and really not shining, just kind of being average. So I wonder at what point do you try to make changes to the system to try to make your players effective in their in their own right, the way they're more naturally effective in? Because it's a Dallas is uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry Nashville is a great team in his own right, but maybe they're only hitting 80% of the potential. So I wonder if it is a dynamic system change, like a coach's system coming in that might uh, light it up for us. Uh, Newsflash, they're hitting 0% of their potential right now. Perfect example. the the power play. But honestly, McCarthy's got to go, in my opinion. I think he does too. That's that's for sure. I I mean, I know Lavi's loyal, but... Dude, you you can't post these power play numbers. Like, I mean, we just need average. That's all. Our, that's we're we're not even wanting like stellar numbers. You know, we just want average at this point. We're not even on the power play board. We're at zero percent. <laughs> By the way, the next power play will be our eighth power play. If we score on that power play, our power play average twelve point five percent. Our season average. Typical. So we're about due. We're about on average what we've been doing. One in eight power play scores. <laughs> It would have been nice to see Rocco's goal come on the power play, but just the fact he got a goal alone from Bishop was, you know, Bishop was stonewalling the entire night, and to see him actually take that pass and get it and squeak it past Bishop, because at one point people didn't think it was a goal because it took him a good probably... It took a three, four-second delay before 
people were like, oh, it's in five second delay, probably for the horn. I mean, it, it was quite a delay, but once again, a great pass from Watson. Watson's been really physical in the series. And on top of it, it was a down and dirty goal right in the slot, by the way. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. What, what happens when you throw the puck towards the slot? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's what it's going to take to get past Bishop. Bishop's hot, Peck's hot. They both are posting great numbers for the playoffs so far. It's going to be a defensive battle. So you need to be able to win those battles and those puck battles in front of the net. Get down and dirty. Get somebody's, some of those. Somebody's got to take the initiative. It can't just be everybody shoot from the point and, and let somebody down there go get it. it. You have to take the initiative. You have to create those those dirty goals in such a contentious uh, defensive matchup where you might not get such great looks all the time in the series. To be honest, though, Rocco comes in being very opportunistic. He knows he was scratched the game before. He gets to come in because of Boyle being sick. And he does what Rocco does. He goes to the net. He does those things that, honestly, I think are needed in the playoffs. And he might win a permanent fourth-line stint here if he keeps this up. Like, if he comes out next game and plays, which, by the way, he's, he's played really good against Dallas. Remember that one breakaway where he just completely fooled Bishop earlier in the year? So, Rocco obviously feels it against Dallas. So, why not keep him in the lineup? I would prefer to have Rocco in the fourth line. I would prefer speed over bruising for the Stars. Yeah, I would like to still have one of them, and obviously now with Boyle and Simmons being out, that's where I, Salty does come in to replace. Uh, I think I would prefer Boyle being in and then Simmons being out for this series with Rocco serving as the fourth-line replacement. But it looks like that is definitely going to be real, reality now. So, Well, I think a lot of people got a good dose of reality when Smith got that overtime-winning goal. I mean, to be fair, though, I think what really got Smith going was the fact, Matt, they played the intro again over. They played the entire thing over, got the crowd hype, got the players hype. Smith just took that intro energy and just wheeled that goal five minutes into overtime. Yeah, I think they said it was the third fastest overtime goal in the postseason for the Nashville Predators. Fairly quick. He didn't have to you know, keep us waiting. Though, as the minutes tick off in OT hockey, your anxiety level and blood yeah. pressure, like it's just a grab, you know, it's a whoosh, just goes straight up. There's a strong correlation there. But he didn't make us wait long. And what do you know? Someone shoots the puck. It gets blocked, but there's a scrum in front. And the puck falls on him, and he chips it in because Bishop can't see it. What do yeah. you know? What do you know? Only the goal that we've been, like, saying needs, like, these are the goals that need to happen against Bishop. And that's the OT winner. Place erupts. You can see, like, a weight lifted off the Pred's shoulders because they went 1-1. They didn't go down 0-2 because they, they've they been seeing all the other headlines with the bolts folding yep. and, and the penguins folding. That is what they needed. And, and they know, too, that, hey, the bolts get knocked off. Hey, the penguins get knocked off. Like, some of these bigger teams that we thought were going to be juggernauts are going down. <laughs> so anything is possible in this postseason, as we've seen so far. Just play a full 60 minutes and give me some gritty play. That's and that's really, what and that's really what boiled down to in game two. They played an entire game. And like you said, a full sixty minutes is what we need them to play. And that's really what the fans want too. I'm more accepting of a loss knowing that we played a full sixty minutes rather than playing a twenty minute period. Yeah, I mean, that goes to game one. You play half a game, you play about thirty minutes. You play they played the first period and the last ten minutes because they were trying to rally in yeah. game one. Uh, I mean that that's basically sums up game one. But as you said, I would feel way more confident leaving it all on the ice. If I go out there and give my best and the other team just happens to win by one goal 
and it's not a blowout, and it's a close game, then so be it. I gave it my all. Game one was not their all. So it was nice coming out and seeing it in game two. And honestly, the stats back it up. If the Preds play like that for the remaining five games, they're winning the series. But they just have to come out and execute. You're the better team. Just show it. And the inconsistency still kills me. Well, with all this being said, just like we looked at the Eastern side after we finished talking about them, let's look at the West. Who do you think is the most likely team to get upset in the West so far? (laughs) Well, considering the current brackets are 1-to-1, 1-to-2, 1-to-1, and 1-to-2 with... Basically, the underdogs almost winning in each one, so the lower seeds. <laughs> so, I, I I really don't know. I mean, do you really consider the Blues and Jets the Blues being an underdog per se? Not really. Yeah, there. Everybody kind of knew that was going to be a toss up, and it's same thing with the Sharks in Vegas. But here's something that it's an interesting take because we are local Nashville natives. And the feeling I get around the Nashville crowd is more of a desperation. Oh, we had to win that game because we don't want to go down 0-2. It's a feeling of desperation. That's not really a position of advantage. And I wonder if that's a feeling that's in the locker room or is that just I feel that pull stronger because we're the local base and that's the way us as fans feel. Because if that's the way the players feel, then I think Dallas is very likely to upset Nashville. Well, I I mean – Put yourself in the Bolt shoes. Do you think the Bol- the Bolts fans were probably freaking out after the second loss? Oh, yes. They were on the point of meltdown from what I saw on Twitter. So, I mean, I think, yes, you're going to have some of the local effect, but at the same time, I, I, I think you saw a team that wanted the win. I, I, here's the difference between the, the Nashville game and, like, the Tampa game in game two. Tampa gets punched in the face, and they come out and hang an L 5-1 to one in their own barn. Nashville got punched in the face game one and comes out in game two, plays a full 60 minutes and gets a win. So it's a, I mean, once again, it still doesn't explain the inconsistencies for the Preds, but look at the inconsistency of the bolts. I I, I mean, you, you have a team that has been consistent throughout 82 games and then they come in and lose three in a row. They haven't lost four in 827 games. As I said earlier, so, I, I don't know. The playoffs have just been really weird so far. Yeah. I, I mean, it's been fun to watch, but they've just been weird. But, I, I mean, if I'm a Preds fan, I'm actually kind of happy because it's not a meltdown like the Bolts. At least our team showed some backbone and played a full 60 minutes yeah. in the next game. And so. Nashville actually is now only the second team in history to have managed to not get swept in the first round in their first 19 entries in the postseason. That's a good. So that's that's good saying stat. something. Yeah. So I mean, we show grit, but it's just like the inconsistent play. That's the one thing that still frustrates me. But don't you guys just love the playoffs? Oh, it's the best. It's all you know. We try to watch every game, and we're cramming stats because I, <laughs> I almost can't watch all of them. But the first round is, is tough, but next round we'll, we'll be all over it. It'll be a little more, uh, a little more relaxing, a little bit more concise too. Yeah, yeah. We'll be able to watch literally like every play. Yeah, I won't and have to. Uh, yeah, watch tidbits of every game. Well, that being said, Matt, before we shut everything down for the evening, do you have any stats we may have uh, not even mentioned? Well, I don't have any stats per se that are worth mentioning, but I have a couple of news items. Uh, just today, the Flyers have announced that Elaine Vigneault yep. is now their head coach. Yeah, shocking news because the Flyers go through coaches and goaltenders about every other year. So Yeah, and 
Uh, also, the Women's World Championship just happened, and Finland happened to stun Canada oh. in the semifinals, and they take on the United States in the finals. But get this, uh, the Finnish uh, team gets an OT goal, Yep, and they party like it's 1990 because they just won the championship. Dude, they, they, I mean, storm the yeah, ice yeah. too. Bench clearing kind of stuff. I mean, they're just going crazy. But a little premature, they might have counted their eggs before the hatch because it gets called back. <laughs> Only for the USA to win in a shootout, shootout for the fifth straight <laughs> title. So Talk it went from a massive emotional swing from we thought we won the championship to we just lost it. Oh, there were emotions, but just went the opposite <laughs> way afterwards. Yeah, that that's brutal. And by the way, the Maple Leafs are currently beating the Bruins 3-1, to one, and the Hurricanes are up on the Capitals 2-0, to zero, and they're on the power play. The surge is coming. Man. Like I said, you got to love the playoffs. We're sitting there talking about everything. And you know what? It's like I said when the Tampa Bay lost their first game, our brackets throw in the air. Yeah, we just might as well light them on fire after after the first round because uh, they're not looking too pretty. But you know what? That's the fun of it. And I'm just enjoying seeing playoff hockey right now. So normally at this point, I would have Daniel go over the upcoming games. But considering the fact that the first round's almost done and we've not released the second round, all we can say is, it's we, Dallas. Just, yeah. We're fighting Dallas until we win or lose. So pretty much. Go. So that's a summary. <laughs> well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. We will still be going through our brackets. Remember, whoever wins the bracket challenge outside of three of us will get a $25 gift item of their choice from the NHL store. And don't forget, if you follow us on Twitter to retweet our pin tweet, which is the jersey giveaway. Oh, yes. You, you don't want to miss out on a jersey. It's a free jersey. Just like it. Tweet it. Follow us, and you could win a jersey, home or away. It's become a playoff tradition for us here at Music City Gold, and kind of a way to say thank you and give back to the community for our listeners who interact with us every day on Twitter and put up with our shenanigans every episode. Yes, we cannot do this without you, and we say thank you, and continue to stay post for all your post-season needs because we're going to be doing this every week now. And reminder... As soon as the season ends, we're going to start our studio upgrades because next season we are going to start doing some live streaming. Yes, and we would love to have you join in and interact with us. That is the whole goal eventually. You don't even have to be a Preds fan. We just want fan interaction. And I kind of want people to join just to tell Matt how wrong he is during the during the live broadcast. Yeah, we have a card that literally just says wrong. And when someone does something wrong, we hold it up for the other person. So. And what that usually means is I get the card wrong thrown at me several times. It's usually in the outro, which, speaking of the outro, Kyle, it's time to end the episode. Yes, it is. Well, guys, this has been Music City Gold. You guys have a great week. Enjoy the playoffs, and we'll see you next week. Take it away, Rachel. You've been listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio, powered by the Ingram Agency. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C. Dandrum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Penalty Box Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.